BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo, what up? This is DJ Newmark, a.k.a. Uncle New. From Jurassic 5. And you're checking out the library with my main man, Tim Onicole, on www.rapstation.com. Legendary MC Slim Kid Trey of the group The Far Side and Jurassic 5 DJ slash producer DJ Newmark are set to release a new collaborative LP on September 9th via Delicious Vinyl called Slim Kid Trey and DJ Newmark. With that, I want to welcome back DJ Newmark to the library with Tim Einenkel on rapstation.com. Hey, 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 Tim. Thank you for having me back, brother. Cool. Anytime. Um, so let, real quick, let's go back to you know the early 90s, Sunset Studios. Um, J5 and The Far Side are recording, uh, obviously separately, but recording. Um, did you have the opportunity to like kind of drop in on any of the recording sessions with The Far Side? And if so, is that kind of when your like, producer you know, wheels were turning about maybe in the future I could do something with these guys? Well, actually, they were recording at a... At a studio called Hollywood Sound. It was actually misquoted in the in the video that we put out. But they're 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 recording at a place called Hollywood Sound and um half of J five was recording at the same studio. They're doing demos and um I had just met Charlie Tuna and Cut Chemist there and uh around that time is where I met Trey. Um so it wasn't the entire group of J five. Uh but it was before J five had become J five uh it was Unity Committee was to, to put a finer point on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I met Trey very briefly on one of those demo listening days. I don't know what Unity Committee was doing. I think we were listening to, oh god, I forgot the name of the the song that that Unity Committee was was recording. But uh, I think we were, I was listening to one of their demos there uh, by the pool table. And later on that that night, I met Trey real briefly, and you know they were obviously doing really really well at the time and doing a lot of recording. And yeah. It was a brief interaction, but uh, we reconnected later on, obviously. Just jump, jump a little forward, but not quite to the present. In 2011, E2 linked up to do the EP, Another Day, Another Dollar. So is that like when you officially realized, all right, this is when we're going to do a bigger, much bigger project together? Um, and, and how soon after did the uh, collaboration process begin? You know, actually, I wasn't even sure if we were going to do anything after that. When we recorded that song, um, it was really for Trey. He needed a, a, you know, something to keep things moving along. And we recorded, and I, I realized that he was really easy to work with. But our first real conversation about recording more material was to form a supergroup um, of uh, kind of '90s classic artists or golden era artists, whatever you want to call it. 
and uh, we were just gonna, you know, get like a four man or three man plus one female MC or something kind of group and uh, do a super group. Mm. But we started recording more material and just were was just kind of on some like be like water shit, just kind of like <laughs> let it be because it was just sounding right. And um, as most artists will, will say in this industry, like. Once things are right, you just let it be. You know, right. I, I don't like to, I don't like to tamper when something just feels good. Um, I've done that in the past, and it's just it's just calamity after that. So yeah, we just started recording songs, and it just felt right, and so we kept going with it, and that's what formed this album. Uh, the new LP is uh, Slim Kid Trey and DJ Newmark. Uh, so I'm just curious, what is what was the first? I guess what was the first song that you guys kind of mastered or recorded for for the LP? I think it was Let Me Hit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was either that or Work Hard, which is ironically the the first song on the album. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one of those two. I, those were the, the beginning stages. I, it might have let uh, Let Me Hit might have been one of the first beats I made for him because it felt very much uh, like a Far Side record uh, when I was creating the music for it. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it was those two. I was just kind of curious, like what's you know the mission of an album, um, if there is one. So for this for this collaboration, did you guys have like a, a mission that you went down yeah. and wanted the listeners to you know know about, or what was the mission of the album, of the of the collaboration? Yeah, well, you know, I Trey would spend Trey and I would spend a lot of time talking a lot in the studio. We tried recording, you know, uh, where he was in Portland. He doesn't live here in L.A. Right. Uh, we tr- I-, I tried sending him beats, and um, he would record something on them and send it back. And uh, we we just weren't really feeling the vibe like that. So he ended up recording everything here in L.A. with me in the studio. But in those conversations here at the studio, you know, we just wanted it to be where we just wanted to pick up where we left off pretty much, um, where our prospective groups left off. I remember feeling like extremely proud when i was seeing like i think it was the back of a source magazine where native tongue was kind of semi announcing that far side was being inducted into native tongue and i remember feeling like really proud about that being from la and that far side did that and then shortly after that far side disbanded right so i i told him about that story and he was tripping out and i was like man i kind of want to pick up where you guys left off and and i kind of want to pick up where j5 left off because also, you got to remember, when Trey and I recorded this, J5 hadn't even been talking right? So uh, about doing any kind of reunion, anything, or doing anything. So we both of our groups were split up. And so I was like, let's just pick up where both of our groups, you know, left off and um, continue, you know, what we do. A little bit of J5, a little bit of Farside into a hodgepodge. Let's make this happen. And the first two singles that released off your collaboration um, were... Bullion featuring Dell, the Funky Homo Sapien, and MERS, and then also Bon Bon Fire. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I was you know why, why these two singles and how how do they help introduce the listener, or the audience to what you just mentioned, the theme and the mission of the album. Well, I think um, Bullion feature that's featuring uh, Dell and MERS is just a good way to let people know that we're picking up where we left off. You know, kind of get back to what we were just saying. And I think Dell and Mers are kind of like right in the vein of where we're at. Um, and uh, we wanted something loose with no choruses, and that song just kind of feels like a 
like a loose back-to-back MC throwdown, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, it just uh, it felt loose to me, you know, and I, and I like that. But the, the the beat felt kind of um, a little bit like Hyro, so mm. I, I I wanted to just pick up um, on that note and keep it pushing. The Bob on Fire one was just something kind of experimental with me and Trey. Um, but just felt good to me. Like I, 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 anytime I listen to it, I want to hear the whole thing. So I, yeah, I mean, and, and these two songs aren't our lead single by any measure, but they're just songs that felt right to us when we were in the studio. They just felt, you know, like, uh, they just kind of wash over you. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Nice. Uh, other tracks on the, the album are, uh, you know, King featuring Diamond D and I know didn't I, yeah, can you kind of can you briefly talk about creating these tracks and what once again like what 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 do you want the listener to experience when they kind of hear this? Well, King is a really important song for us. That that one uh, features Diamond D, and um, that's a little bit more of a rugged side uh, to this album. It's a little bit harder, maybe a little bit of a more New York sound, I guess. Um, mm. But uh, I just always thought it was important for both Trey and myself to kind of shake hands with the East coast right before our groups split up, but we just didn't have time to do that. And that's, that, that's what that song kind of does. Um, I feel like there's a lot of disconnection um, these days in hip hop, whether it be, you know, a new school artist working with a middle school artist or uh, an old school artist working with, you know, a new school artist. I feel like there's like a disconnect. And so I, I'm always kind of on a mission to bridge gaps. That make sense. Like I feel like diamond D and Slim Kid Trey, that makes sense to me. Like, it's the same feel, um, even though they're from, you know, opposite coasts. Uh, so I like connecting the dots in that way. And so, I mean, that's why that joint is important. Um, the I Know Didn't I track uh, features a Bay Area legend named Durando, soul singer, uh, and sweet soul singer, I guess you can say, who just recently passed away. Uh, rest in peace, Durando. Um, I think his session with us might've been one of the last recording sessions he did before he passed. I'm not sure on that, but it happened very quickly after our session, uh, with him. Um, and he was kind enough to come in the studio, you know, listen to Trey's verses, do ad-libs. And he was just tripping out on the song because it was, it was his song that we sampled. So he was like, you know, wow, you know, Trey really, Trey wasn't at that session, but he was like, you know, he really, you know, Trey really did his thing on this. Like he was bugging out. And so for me, that really meant a lot. And I, that's going to be our, our main single. Um, the video is coming very, very shortly. I think the video drops in about a week from now. And so, yeah, we're going to be pushing that one pretty hard. And um, I'm excited about that song. I'm excited about this album. I want to go into another track, uh, Fade to Black, featuring J-Live. Um, yeah. J-Live's verse is a commentary about entertainment and pop culture and society as a whole and how people want to learn about superficial things and and entertainment in order to escape reality. Um, as a producer slash, you know, beat maker, how do you, like, obviously with lyrics, right? We, we, we know what they're saying because they're lyrics. I mean, they're words. Um, with beats, it's a little more difficult because you're, you're not saying, you know, in English, in English, you're not saying Spanish, you're not saying Chinese, whatever you're, you're speaking with beats. So how as a producer, how do you help convey a message, uh, just through your beats? music always leads the way with me. Like I don't ever try to force anything in the studio. So 
you know, it's like if I sample a kick drum, it leads to a snare drum, it leads to a hi-hat, you know, it leads to a bass line, it leads to a loop or a chopping of a loop or a creation of a bass line or melody. But I'm not actually doing anything. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, sometimes I feel like I don't even deserve credit as a producer because I almost feel like the universe is pushing the song out. It's really, mm. I don't know, it's kind of... If, if a producer is listening to this interview, he'll, he'll kind of understand what I'm talking about. Like something, there's there's a part in the beat making process where you're not even really doing anything. You're kind of like just letting the music uh, pull you in a direction. Okay, yeah. Uh, and if you're open enough, you'll go down that that road with your beat. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if you're trying to it some way it, it yeah you will be working hard and yeah you will be creating a beat um but for me i don't really work in that fashion um i just kind of start something and then that something asks for another component it goes okay look i want to you know i need uh i need some uh, beans on the side of this dish i need some rice over here you know like it, it just it asks for things and i just give it what it's asking for i'm, I'm just like kind of like the slave to the music really um yeah so uh i don't know if i convey anything tim i i think I, what i do is i is i go down the road uh of you know where the beat's leading me and it ends up being a song that's either melancholy or really hard-hitting and nasty or um you know something that's asking for a story you know hmm. uh, um, like we have a song called godzilla or gamera that like the, the beat is asking for kind of a, a raw story, um, and then I, and then at that point I I I'm one of those producers that likes to talk to the MC and like you know try to get a certain feeling out of them or a good ad lib out of them because I just feel like it's a it's my job as a producer. Um, I'm not really a beat maker. I'm a producer. I, I, I you know if a beat comes out a certain way, I say hey look this is really asking for some. Um, political commentary or sign of the times this is a very selfish you know time you know which is the case with uh with the j live joint kind of bringing me bring me back to what you originally asked like it's a selfish time and you know everybody's taking selfies you know everyone got a car and they're by themselves in a car here in la like it's, it's just a selfish time man like i just know there's no barely any groups left you know everyone's a solo act uh it's just it's just you know he says it. it's a sign of the times you know like uh follow me all this you know it's like you know that's just what we're living but you know i might have a commentary but by no means do i like create the feel unless i'm really really working at it or if i'm working on a movie <laughs> and they need a cue <laughs> but what you just i mean but what you just talked about with like being a slave to the beat i mean that that i think i know what you're saying in terms of like like for example when i put together these interviews um, with music and whatever and, and something, right? Um, yeah. Whatever sound I need. It's not all the time that I have this blueprint in front of me be like, all right, uh, Newmark said this, I'm going to play this, bam, bam, bam. It's like this, this, you know, this, this, this voice, this, this, this voice that only I could hear is telling me, I oh, know, you know, what you should put here, you should put, you know, he mentioned some old school thing. You should totally put someone talking underneath or something like that. Um, yeah. So I think it's like I mean, but for me that feels like that just shows your uh, experience as a as a producer, right? It's just like you know when when to say yes and when to say no. 
Yeah, well, for me, I think it came from DJing, actually. Um, because, you know, when you plan a set list, like if you, if DJs are listening now, like it, when, when you put <laughs> together, like, you know, uh, a box of records or a box of 45s or if you're on Serato or whatever you're using to spin, like if I play what I'd say from Ray Charles, it, it might say, oh, you may want to play Hit the Road Jack, too, you know, because it's in the same vein. Not only is it the same artist, I mean, that's a no-brainer, but it's just asking for, like, a texture. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's asking for something, and, you know, if you're open to that, you're, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. It's probably one of the reasons why I love music so much and why I never get tired of it, because I'll never be a master of it. Uh, anyone who claims to be a master of any art, especially music, is a bold-faced liar because you'll never master music. It's endless. It's, it's infinite. It's infinite. You'll never own every record that's ever been put out. There's people who have tried. Uh, you'll never master a violin or bass or cello or any. It's endless. It's endless. And there's always another style. Right. Definitely. And it's constant. Yeah. I mean, it's constant learning and bending and, yeah. um, yeah. so I want to, I want to obviously continue on. And, and this is, in the same conversation of being a producer or DJ, um, when you're working with an artist such as as Trey, um, is it helpful for you to be familiar with their discography? This way, you know, like what, like what work, what beats and instrument, etc., works for their their flow, or would you kind of rather go in there without knowing any, you know, hearing anything they've done? Well, with an artist like Trey, I definitely would want to know because he's been around the block a few times and he's um, he's a golden era MC um, from a golden era group, a very important group in my opinion. Um, with a new school artist, not as much. It is important, you know, for a guy like me, yeah, it's important. But on a global scale, like for the average producer, it, I don't, I don't say, I don't think it's as important. But it's good to know what an artist is up to and what he's doing, what his flavor is, in in order to like execute the smash down in the studio. You know what I mean? Like, you got to kind of know what these MCs are up to. Like, there's some MCs where I played like really hard beats to, and they're like, no, 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 no. I need like moody melancholy beats, and vice versa. Like, I've played like melancholy beats or like kind of like deep beats or whatever you want to call those kind of beats to guys who just wanted to smash and talk about like gun running and, you know, banging or whatever. And they're like, no, no, I need the hard fish. So it, you got to kind of know where their head's at and what they've been up to. But then you, every now and then you get this curveball where you get like, I know a lot of MCs from my era, like there's a good handful of guys that have made really deep, like beats. And I've given them those kind of beats and they're like on a mission to kind of change their image and do harder fish. And I'm like, you're going to do harder shit? <laughs> like, doesn't make any sense. So there's the curveball that happens. So it's really, you know, when you're giving beats to these guys, you know, you, you kind of want to give a sprinkle of this and that in there so they can kind of see, you know, if you might hit something with that. And, yeah, you, you just don't want to miss altogether. So, yeah, there's every now and then you get that left turn that throws you off the path. Oh, with this LB, um, Sim Kutre and DJ Newmark, uh, how do you guys select who, I mean, the, the who who to feature or who to get on to do features? I mean, you have K-Natural, Durando, J-Live, Diamond D, uh, Dell, and Murr. So kind of what was that selection process like? 
Well, I think I think K Natural will be probably the biggest question mark that people have been asking me lately. Like I, I keep hearing this guy K Nat, but who is he? Um, K Nat is a guy that travels with with Trey on the road um, for the bizarre ride to the Far Side shows that that have you know Jay Swift and C Brown and uh, some of the original players. You know, of course, Fat Lips on stage. Uh, but K Nat is like he's just a bright spirit, man. I don't know how else to put this brother, man. He, he's just an amazing person, man. Like every time Trey would come to LA, I'd be like, yo, is K Nat around? Tell him to come to the studio. You know, he's an amazing writer. Like he would come up with ideas in the studio, like, uh, the diamond D joint, the King of the jungle hook he came up with. And it was just a freestyle on the mic. And I just kept the take. Um, but, uh, like, that's the kind of aura I want in the studio these days. Like, I just want bright spirits in my home. Like, I don't want any bad energy here in the studio. Uh, as soon as they enter the door, it's just truthful music, being truthful with each other. If something's whack, it's whack. If it's good, it's good. Um, he's just one of these guys that just has a really open spirit. And I, we just had to use him on uh, the writing process as well as um, to the joints on the album. Uh the the thought process behind like Adele, the Murs, the Diamond D was um, again kind of picking up where we left, where our crews left off, and those guys were in that vein. Um, I suggested Diamond to Trey. He's like, man, if you can get them, that'd be great. And Diamond and I had just played an all forty five event in Toronto. Yeah, it was in Toronto, and I let him know about the album, and he was like, yo, let me know what's up, you know, and. I said, man, we may want to pull you in on a song, just kind of throwing it out there to see what he would say, and he was open, so he was kind enough to uh, blaze it for us. And the Dell one was uh, like kind of an ongoing conversation with his manager, and Trey was open to it from the beginning because you know he's a West Coast hero, you know. So yeah, it just it was just you know open conversations about who we thought would fit that um, that we respected. And, and, and I guess was there anything because you guys are coming from you know two groups that uh, when they when they're when they're on stage together or when they're doing albums together they you know they do I mean it's the big thing with Jurassic Five right making you know sounded like one MC right so did you guys was that another consideration to have like well we want to make it as fluid as possible so they actually each of these guys sound like they could be a part of a, in a group with with Trey you know what's really interesting man is. Um... Something really this this whole process of this album it, it was really meant to be because um, I mean everything from me and Trey meeting each other and us not doing the supergroup idea and recording just with each other was all really really meant to be because um, at the end of the album creation process right before we were going to send it to mastering um, I just played the songs he goes let me just hear all the mix down so I just went in in row uh, on my disc on my uh, disc drive, just playing songs. Like, you know, I guess um, what the computer just alphabetizes it or does it by date, I guess, uh, your, pro, okay. your Pro Tool sessions. And so as right. I was going in a row, that ended up being our exact album sequence. So wow. it was kind of eerie. Like, that's never happened to me before. Like, you know, usually like when you sequence a record, you have to sit and go, oh, this should go after that. Oh, wait, we need a little skit that goes between songs right, right. four and five or whatever. But... <laughs> This one, we just kept looking at each other with, like, you know, our eyebrows up, like, uh, yo, that really worked together. And so I was just writing it down as I went. I ended up just saying, hey, man, it's just the same order that's been saved in my drives. Like, that was kind of weird. 
um, I don't know if that answered your question, but like the cohesiveness of this um, was just already there. Um, right. I mean, talk about the music leading, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just that was just one of those things, man. Like, I just you know I just let it be. It, it just sounded right. But that goes to like the you know you being the you know just experienced in the music and and producing is just like. I think, you know, a newer producer might have been like, oh, no, this can't possibly be. We have to change this and this. But, yeah, it's that, like that, that it's that inner voice that's telling you, no, this is right, this is right, don't, you know. I, I thought about it. Trust me, Tim. I thought about it, brother. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was like, this is just weird. I, and, he, and, and Trey is so zenned out. He's just like, no, nah, man, just let it be. And I'm like, you're right. You're right, <laughs> player. I'm not going to mess with faith, you know. So it was interesting. Sure. Very interesting. Uh. Newmark, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, you guys just Jurassic Five is back. You guys just finished a reunion tour. Uh, if you could take the listener to the, the first show, uh, what was it like being back on stage? I mean, were you guys nervous nervous at all? Also, is there is there any worry that you know in a reunion that that chemistry that you guys once had would just not be there anymore? Well, the first the first show was Coachella. Um, for the reunion tour of Jurassic five. And it was a really interesting show. Um, I can't speak for the MCs if they were nervous, they might've been, I don't know. Um, I was pretty cool as a cucumber until our engineer dropped cuts portable turntable and, uh, the needle (laughs) shattered into pieces. (laughs) Oh no. Uh, just to kind of rewind a little bit for the, for the listener though, uh, Cut and I do a, a DJ routine on stage where um, he has a portable turntable around his neck and he cuts up with it and scratches with it. Right. And I have like a record necklace made out of 45s um, that triggers 808 sounds. So we do this whole like, walking towards the audience, record chain, guitar chain around our neck, DJ solo. Well, the 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 turntable that he uses isn't like, you know, it isn't like a, you know, a Technique 1200 or a professional turntable by any means. So once that needle dropped on the ground or once the turntable dropped on the ground, <laughs> our, our dreams looked shattered or our, or at least <laughs> our faces looked like our dreams were shattered. So as that happened, sir. Okay. So this is all happening, by the way, 10 minutes before we get rolled out on stage on our risers. So oh, as that turntable drops in the ground, Sir Paul McCartney just happens to walk up out of nowhere. Don't ask me. And so I'm like, do I take a picture with uh, my Gemini homie or do I help cut right. chemist? So I took a picture <laughs> with my Gemini homie. <laughs> we got that picture off. And then um, I had to cut like, you know, one of my 44 sevens, which is like a, a pro needle, whatever, you know, from shore. Right. Handed it to him. As that happened, as that happens, knee trip walks up out of nowhere and is like super gluing the needle into cuts rig. It doesn't fit. It's not even meant for the turntable. He has like scotch tape and super glue and is blowing on this fucking needle as they're rolling our risers out on stage. And so like, you know, our faces are beat red. We're just, now we're nervous. Now we're like really nervous. And, uh, we get to the solo part of the show, which is like 15 minutes into the set and it went over. Okay. Like it, I mean, I don't know the footage is out there. I mean, 
it was sloppy. I'm not going to lie. You know, we've had cleaner days, but we got the point across and, uh, a gigantic turntable did really well. We do a five foot in diameter, huge turntable that we uh, use at the end of the solo. Uh, but no, everything went good, man. It was, but it was a really, really one of the most unique pre-show experiences I've ever had. <laughs> right. Um, I want to continue. When, when we last spoke, I asked you if there was anything you wish J5 was able to accomplish prior to the break, you know, you guys disbanding. And you said, and it wasn't the main thing, but you said you, you kind of were hoping for uh, mainstream radio play. Mm. Now that you guys are back together, is this still something that you're, you hope to accomplish? Or is it kind of, are you at a different point in your career where it's not about the mainstream radio play? Well, no, if you you can ask me this this uh, question ten years from now, and if I just still don't have a hit, I'm still going to be asking for it. Um, for me, it's really uh, my wish for being one six of that group, um, and it's really my wish. Period. As, just as DJ Newmark, I'd love to have a hit. I'd love to have like a, a major smash. Um, um, just because I was born and bred on hearing all my favorites on K Day out here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing Public Enemy for the first time on K-Day, hearing um, uh, N.W.A., Smash K-Day, and, and De La Soul, and Juice Crew, and um, all my favorites growing up, they were on the radio. Uh, and that was by no means selling out. It was getting your music heard. And that's what music is, is supposed to be. It's supposed to be heard. So, yeah, I'll always want that. And I'll always want that for the group as well as myself. Um, but that said, my mission right now, after you know putting out my own album, Broken Sunlight, and creating this album with Trey, and putting out a bunch of mixtapes and, and DJing and whatever, um, I'm on some slow and steady wins the race. You know, like I'm on some like, you know, spoon feeding content to anybody who really cares about what I'm doing, as long as I could possibly do it. You know, I still want to walk up on stage like BB King when I'm an old man. And DJ with you know, and DJ with a box of forty fives, even if I need a cane, you know what I mean. Like I'm I'm gonna be doing this till I can stop doing it. Like I'm gonna keep doing it. Like I was, I started playing drums at seven. Music's been in me since you know since the beginning. So like it's it's I'm not one of these dudes like oh hip hop's and a young man's sport and nah, this is music. Like I play I play you know hip hop. I play soul. I play cumbia, Latin, Brazilian Brazilian music. Um, I, I play everything and, you know, I want to continue to do it as long as I can, can give that, that experience to the, to the audience. Is is that the thing that kind of, uh, I, I've always, when I, when I've, when I, when I saw you guys perform as, um, J5 and then also just, you know, obviously through YouTube videos of you on stage, you, you seem like you're having, like, you just seem to be having a great time. Um, yeah. what is it about performing in front of the audience that, it kind of you enjoyed the most uh well i don't know for me if it's so much performing in front of the audience that makes me excited uh it's um doing what i love mm. like you, you'll probably see me dancing around and acting a fool in my studio the same way <laughs> 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 but you know it's just the again i'm going back to this theme today the music is just leading and it just it just takes me into a altered state you know, and it just, you know, plays tug of war with me a little bit and just keeps dragging me down the road, man. Like, 
yeah, it's fun. The audience is great. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's nice when you, you know, see people show up to hear you don't, don't, don't get it twisted. But for me, it's like when I'm like on stage, like for instance, like with J five, you'll probably see some clips where I'm just like in the back tripping out, like on the music, I'm kind of listening to like what I did in the studio in like 99 and 2002 and going, damn, it's actually pretty decent, man. It's actually holding up. Like I'm in that state of mind. I'm in a, like very connected with the music state of mind, you know. Right. You know? Uh, speaking of your live performances, your, your your toy sets are you know obviously a fan favorite. Uh, you seem to use oh cool. You seem to use every and any toy you can get your hands hand on. But I was always curious: has there ever been a toy that you really wanted to use and it just didn't work? Uh, and if so, how many times did you try to make that toy work until you were like, ah, forget it? Yeah, there's been a few. There's been one that did work and then didn't work. Uh, there's it's actually on my toy. For those who don't know what the hell we're talking about, it's a I uh, fill the whole stage up with kids' toys and rig them into my DJ setup. But no, there's one toy uh, that is the sax guy. Uh, he has it's like a saxophone player that like kind of like wobbles back and forth while he's playing the sax, and he's playing a kind of a dope groove actually. He would work one show, stop working another show. I fixed him maybe six times, man. Like, I finally just had to retire him. So that's one that, that was actually on stage with me that worked, and now I just just I just can't get him to work. There's another toy that, like, at first glance, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Like, it has, like, it's a keyboard. It actually, the keyboard pulls out of the toy. It's pretty dope. Like, uh, almost like... Um, a sidekick or some shit, no, <laughs> you know, nice. like it, it flips open. Like, I don't know. It's some, it's a weird, the way, the way it opens is pretty dope. And then it has some keyboard sounds or whatever. And then there's a whole drum machine patch. And then there's a whole like sound effects thing going on with it, but I just can't seem to integrate it into my show. And it's driving me a little bit insane to tell you the truth. Um, and then, um, let's see, there's one more that I, there's this one, like many, many turntable that's like on a keychain. But there's, it's just so small, and I don't, I don't know how to integrate it. I, I've, I've tried, and uh, all there's, all there's also this, like this racing car toy that makes really dope sounds, but for some reason it just doesn't make sense in my, in my set. Yeah, there's a bunch, dude. <laughs> Actually, I think I have more. <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm looking at them right now on the wall as we, we're talking. But yeah, there's one really dope one that looks like an NPC. Like the, the pads light up, but it makes no real usable sounds you know like so you you run into this you know it just uh with toys it's much different than records because you can't control tempo they're very very uh volatile they can stop working or make weird sounds at any time they don't sound good to begin with so pulling off a toy set is very very difficult um i have to very be very concentrated not only on stage but on the setting up and the creating of the outputs and and setting up the actual set have you, is it, I mean, is it possible to, would you ever consider producing an entire album based on your toy sets? And if so, would you, is there an MC in mind that you think would work best with kind of the music curate from these toys? Um, not a whole album, but I thought about a song, but then I saw someone did a song with toys, uh, already. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is just a stage thing or if this is something I can integrate in the studio. I tend to like really kind of darker production, mm -hmm. and this is a little bit more happy. Um, but there is one toy that has a crazy, crazy loop that I want to get in. Um, to answer your question, kind of like, 
Yeah, kind of. But probably a song or maybe an EP at the most. But, uh, yeah, maybe something to think about. So I want to actually, you just, you just mentioned, I want to turn back to um, the album with Some Kid Trey. Um, Some Kid Trey and DJ Newmark, which comes out September 9th on Delicious Vinyl. Um, last time we spoke, you talked about um, your your Broken Sunlight album, Coming From a Dark Place. And you just mentioned you kind of stem, stem you're, you're, you you like dark con- darker concepts. So is this collab- collaboration with uh, Trey kind of a continuation of your attraction to those dark concepts? Or are you just kind of out of that and into a different? It's half. It's half. Like because I think when, when I when I think of like far side production, it had a dark side to it for sure. Like a green, you know. If I were to put a color on it, it would be green. Right. You know, I don't think that makes sense. I, I think in this kind of way, but it'd be like a nice green. When I think of J5's production, I think of it as like rust, mm. you know, burnt orange kind of British, burnt yellow, like kind of like vibrant, um, more geared towards the stage. So it's half, half dark, half kind of, you know, brighter, energetic, you know, a dark would be, uh, I know, didn't I maybe, but actually, I know Didn't I, which is about to come out, is kind of is, is kind of right down the middle. It's kind of half J5, half Farside, which is what makes it, which makes it really beautiful. But um, so that's probably a bad example. But um, uh, like Godzilla or Gamera is a kind of a darker beat, kind of more Farside, has a little bit of like a Brazilian kind of influence in there. Uh, whereas like King is more like towards the stage and kind of like has that what's golden feel a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, from J5. So, yeah, it's half and half, man. Uh, I want to quickly turn to your, your vinyl collection, which is roughly 35,000 pieces. Real quickly, what are your top t- – what what are the top ten pieces in your collection? Oh, man. <laughs> I can't even rattle off my – dude, don't do this okay. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have an aneurysm at the end of this question. So no, I can't do it, man. I have too much. You know, I have to get rid of some vinyl, man. I have – I have too much, man. I have to. I have to do this because there's a lot of clunkers that are at my mother's house. So I got to get. I got to get rid of the weight and uh, make it all quality and less quantity, man. I mean, I got heat over at my studio. Obviously, I picked through everything. Right. But damn, like there's a lot of shit I just don't need, man. But no, I mean, I, I love. I mean, you might ask me this question one day, and I'll say one thing, and another day it'll be something completely different, man. Definitely. Um, depending on what mood I'm in. Um, lately I've been very much into, you know, Latin music and, um, I've always loved soul. That's where I get my inspiration from. Um, whether it be sweet soul, Northern, you know, funky, whatever it's, I, I, it, soul is just so deep and no matter how hard I try to scratch the surface, I can't seem to get down to the next level. It just keeps going and going and going, man. I just love it so much. You, in, in your interview with uh, Crate Diggers, you talked about, not just your appreciation for the music and your vinyl, but also your appreciation for the cover art. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So ultimately, do you, I mean, ultimately, are you judging kind of a book by its cover? I mean, do you, like, how many, approximately, like, how many pieces do you have that are, you just have because of the cover art, not because you actually want to hear the music? Um, actually, not that many. Oh. Not that many, because when I, when I bought records, when I've just kind of cold bought records and I bought them home and they were clunkers, I, I, I trade them in for something else. Oh, okay. Um, the records I was speaking about earlier, when you asked me about my top 10, um, 
they I bought twenty thousand records when I was fifteen years old with my DJ partner Amani Smith at the time. He and I were in a house party DJ crew called Bum Rush Productions and we used to go buy records from this old jazz cat in the valley that always had dope jazz and soul records. And, you know, we're pulling Apache out of there and, you know, incredible bongo bands and funky drummer and, you know, uh, Lou Donaldson records. Just cool shit. Like, we would always pull stuff out of this guy's collection early out in the game. And we finally just said how much for the whole collection. And he said $500. $500 for 20,000 records. And so we were just like, yes, sign me up. And so within that lot of records, there's a lot of beat down or useless whack 80s 12 inches that just not good and i love me some 12 inches i like i like a lot of genres so yeah those are the ones that i gotta get rid of but to go to your question though the if i buy something and it's i know i'm not going to use it or i know there's no way it's going to fit into a dj set or anything i try to like trade it in for something else or send it back to amoeba or give it to a homie or whatever you know but i do judge a lot of my records by the covers though because you know usually the crazier the album cover the ill of the record, man. It's just been my experience. Or if you see like three white dudes and one brother, mm-hmm. that's gonna be a banger of an album. Or vice versa. Nice. Like if there's a, if there's like a token one ethnicity, you're, you you got some issue going on on that album. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be that, 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 that. You should. I think one of the chapters of when you write a book should be if you have a token one, you're good. You're good. You're golden. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Uh, in the in the in the video you posted of uh, behind the behind the scenes with um, you and Trey for the the album, some kid Trey and DJ Newmark, I noticed uh, part part of the video showed um, you guys doing a kind of a photo shoot for your album cover, uh, for the vinyl oh, cover. Yeah. How much? Uh, I, I just care. How much of a uh, uh, I guess an influence or or did you have into uh, into creating the the album? art for for this for this album in this particular album i had a lot i mean i i um i'm a real fan of photographer that shot our cover art our whole layout i should say uh her name is uh Ixchel laura and she does this really cool like uh she uses like expired film and does a lot of double exposure work on the camera um but her photos just seem so like I don't know. They're inviting. I guess that's the best way of putting it. She normally just shoots women. And I, her, my girlfriend introduced me to her. Um, and I was looking at all her pictures and I was like, God, it's just so beautiful. Like, is this, she has a real way about getting the, the point across. And so I asked if she'd shoot me in train. She was really open to it. And, and the guy who did the layout I used before, you know, uh, Alfred Hawkins, he's, he's, he did my broken sunlight layout. He's done great flyers around LA for, you know, um, gigs that are going around uh, LA, but um, yeah, no, I suggested it, and Trey was open, you know. Um, and I think she got the point across too that the layout came out good. That's awesome. Uh, what's the best way for listeners to cop the new LP, Some Kid Trey and DJ Newmark? Um, it'll be in stores uh, on vinyl as well as CD. Um, digitally, you can catch it at deliciousvinyl.com. Uh, Delicious Vinyl's putting out the record. Um, if you want to follow me or see what I'm up to, I'll be posting all kinds of stuff about the album and hopefully some free goodies around it. Uh, I'm at unclenew.com and all my social medias are DJ Newmark. Um, 
except for my Instagram, which is DJ Newmark 808. But yeah, come hang out with me. And what, <laughs> and what, what's, what's next for you after, I guess, once this album's officially released, what's next? I'm working on two mixes right now, and both of them I can't say what they are because the theme is a little delicate. But uh, one is with a really, really well-known DJ um, that I really admire, and we're getting in the studio actually next week. It's the, I finished one project, came off to the next one. but um, And then the other mix I'm working on, uh, yes, it's just theme-oriented. I wish I could say more about it, damn. Uh, but I'll have more music coming soon, um, and I plan to do more work in movies um i did all the beats and uh ride along uh with kevin hart in uh ice cube so i wanted to work more with with uh sony pictures and universal um this coming year as well do you imagine uh another is this i mean this the the album this album with uh trey is this kind of a, a one-off thing or do you guys imagine working on other albums together well, right now we're just kind of viewing it as a one-off thing, but you never know what could happen, man. You never know. Cool. All right, the new album is Slim Kid Trey and DJ Newmark. comes out September 9th off of, uh, from uh, Delicious Vinyl. Uh, DJ Newmark, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the library with Tim Minico. Thanks so much, Tim. Respect to you, brother. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.